I'm Jensen Beeler. And I'm Quentin Wilson. And together we are the Two Enthusiasts Podcast. The Two Enthusiasts Podcast. The Texas barbecue of motorcycle podcasts. That's good barbecue. Yeah. Sweet and savory. <laughs> Just like us, Quentin. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. As long as it's not Kansas City barbecue. Sorry, but I hate that shit. I, I go don't to think Kansas I've ever City. had barbecue in Kansas it's City. It's okay, but it's like... I've had my dreams ruined in Kansas City. Have they, you really? They died there. Oh, how's that? Because it's Kansas City. <laughs> <laughs> they have these things called burnt ends, and it's just not good. The burnt, end, burnt ends aren't too bad. You just can't think of it as barbecue. <laughs> That's it's like a barbecue mistake. Like, hey, I, I fucked up your barbecue. <laughs> it's still edible. Have some burn ends. We're just going to call it a burnt end. Enjoy. I guess I shouldn't say it's awful or bad. It's just not Texas. It's just not what you're looking for. Yeah, right. Yeah. You go to South Carolina, North Carolina. They have some good smoked meats. Yeah, it's or, a little different style, though. And it is different, yeah. and I like it, but it's not Texas. And it's yeah. hard, to, it's hard yeah. to explain it until you go there. And you, Anyway. If you're a vegetarian, you're really shit out of luck. <laughs> you really are. It's one of those places where people that are vegetarians that are used to uh, good restaurants that know how to actually prepare vegetarian meals, that there's nothing like that in Texas. It's very rare. Yeah. Well, Quentin, we are riffing on barbecue in Texas because you and I were both in Texas. Yeah. At least that's what Facebook tells me because I didn't see yeah, you the no. entire time I was sure. there. It was one of the best... Uh, uh, GPs that I've been to in like a very long time because I went in with my parents, my dad, cause he's a veteran bought the tickets for like half off. And we walked in without any passes for the first time, I think in like 20 years, I wasn't there for a race. I wasn't there with you. I wasn't, I just went in with my parents, sat on a grass hill and watched the races all day and got a sunburn. Like and a tourist. Yeah. That was it. And it was really good. I walked into the, like the, the kind of, commerce area for a bit to see if I could relieve my fellow Alta dude, uh, Larry, who was there, you know, in the, in the GoPro tent with the Altas and he was fine. And I got to talk to Patrick Flynn briefly from uh, Aprilia. Yeah. And that was the only person that was it. Right. The whole, out of all of the people that was great. It's like barely a proof of life. Yeah. It was awesome. I was, I was like very happy to be not there. I had a, I had a lot of people. Well, first I should say, I had, I had a lot of people come up that listened to the podcast, which was awesome. I'm really grateful that I ran into you, you folk out at the, uh, the racetrack. And then of course the next question is where's Quentin? Mm -hmm. Where's Quentin? Where's Quentin? Where's that? Where's that ponytail <laughs> mother effer? Yeah. Well, sorry. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. He's like out herding cats or something. I don't yeah. know. So you were missed. The, the, yeah, thanks. The, I appreciate that. The podcasting community missed you. But I was glad to be there and enjoying the racing for just being in racing, you know? It was kind of good that you didn't have a press pass because I got super, super sick food poisoning. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure it's from the media center food. Mm -hmm. Why are you sure? Did anybody else get sick? No one uh, else really seemed to get sick, but they did serve us a Caesar salad and yeah. it was during that whole romaine yeah. lettuce recall thing. And I even like when I was dishing up my plate, it was like, isn't there a re a recall on lettuce right now? <laughs> this looks really As good. As I'm like shoveling it into my face because I love Caesar salad. And yeah. Just, mm, mm, yeah. Isn't there like E. coli in this? Mm. <laughs> so sick. So sick. Like an hour after race, it hit me like a freight train. Yeah. I was out for a week. Yeah. It took me a week to get right. Well, let's not talk about it. Yeah. It was bad news bears. There was a lot to talk about at the, the racetrack though. Sure. And it was the week after the Argentinian thing. The craziness. Yeah. 
Which was, well, that was the Marquez Rossi thing. They're all Marquez Rossi. It's always Marquez Rossi. Yeah, but not, yeah, no, that was, really. that was the incident. Not after this past weekend, it was Mar- <laughs> Marquez Rossi. Uh, so yeah, we'll get right. to that, right? Okay. Um, yeah, so that was right after Mark Marquez kind of um, pinballed his way through the field, so yeah. to speak. And more, most notably took out Valentino Rossi. And then came back to Austin and just dominated like he does. Yeah. Which, um, unfortunately makes for really poor racing at, at Austin. I, I don't really rank the America's GP as a good race to watch from a, a racing perspective. It's a great facility. It's a great location. It's a great venue. They just put in the go-kart track. I really meant to go ride a go-kart, but I heard really cool things about that. Like, There's a lot of cool things on why you should go to Austin for the MotoGP race. It's just the MotoGP race isn't one of them. If you go to the go-kart track at Coda, find Steven. He's a friend of mine from high school, and I think he might actually run the the go kart track. And you had a go kart hookup. And I'm you sorry, didn't, I, you didn't let me know. I'm not. I'm not even sure. I haven't had a chance to chat with him about it. I feel bad, but yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. It's a great place, but every year, what I think Marquez has won all every year. Marquez has never lost in the United States. And um, what else? There was like like he's has he led almost every single lap with probably pretty close to it. I don't think it's every lap, but. Close uh, enough. My my colleagues on the Paddock Pass podcast would know better, but yeah. yeah, it's it's pretty darn close. I'm trying to think if he's had every pole position as well. Uh, I'd have to double check that one, but pretty close to that too. I mean, sure. it's it's been a thing. Uh, it's of note. And then as we saw this this last weekend in uh, Hareth, um, anything can happen. Anything can happen. Sure. So. Are we not talking about that because you don't? I mean, I don't. I just wanted to get through it. We don't have to. Okay. Well, we, we can talk about it if you want. Yeah, sure. It was definitely Jorge's fault. You think it was Jorge's fault? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Clearly. not even. There's not even a question. What is it, Danny Pedrosa's fault? No. Is it Davizioso's fault? No. It's Jorge coming right back around, being a complete jackass. I'm, like, I'm going to do this. Whack. Right? It's horrible. It was horrible. I don't know if I put the blame... I don't think I put the blame on anyone. I think it's just an unfortunate set of circumstances. I, <laughs> That's I, what everybody keeps saying. Oh, well, this is this is a racing incident. I'm like, no, it's Jorge's no, fault. No, you just want to blame George. I do. <laughs> and uh, I posted up a pretty good article. It oh, was a, I uh, saw that. I a, don't like those articles. Those, I know, those but are the, just the, getting old. I know. It is almost, but that one was a good set of satire. That wasn't quite as... Uh, I will say acidic as the Dear George ones. Yeah, Dear George has gotten old in my book. It, it's 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 definitely run its course, but that one was was pretty amusing because it basically called him out as you're watching the race. You're like, oh, you chose a soft, and and I'm sitting there thinking, well, you you just did that so you could get up to the front and maybe gain a little bit of confidence or whatever it is that you're going to do, but you are never going to finish this race in a good way on a soft and sure enough it shit happens right yeah i mean i, I feel i feel for davi because you can watch you watch the race and you see like lorenzo getting in his way and he's trying to make these passes but yep. lorenzo's very difficult to, to pass as he should be that's his prerogative and then you can just feel like i can feel the frustration he's getting making kind of more desperate moves to get by because he's watching marquez yep. get away and by sure. by extension the the championship lead is getting away from him um and then he goes, he blows the turn. And that's the thing where you're like, okay, he blows the turn and puts himself in that no man's land of like, well, that's where people crash. Yeah, someone but he cra- wasn't even someone, close to someone, crashing. Someone, right? But no, that's what I'm saying. Like, but if someone crashes, you're going to get collected because you're out in this no man's land now of, of the crash zone. Yeah. And then George, George goes in a little too hot and brings back that apex. But 
Danny's the the man from behind, and it's kind of on the guy from behind to make the pass clean. He was making that clean pass. But he was past the apex. I mean, that was yeah, one of those things. He was, was kind clean. Of, I think there I would put nothing it more, cleaner than little Danny. If I have to apportion blame, I'm going to put more on George than Danny, but I'm not really going to sit there and point finger and say, like, it's your fault. Did you not see how sharply George cut down on him? It wasn't like... It wasn't even on the yeah, same line. The thing, but that's the thing, too, in GP, where they've talked about it in the past, where the guys, when they're leaned over, like they don't see the other rider. You know, he's not seeing them. Now, maybe he should know, like, hey, I left this door open. Uh-huh. Danny's going to be there. I should probably have I a should quick probably, look. I should yeah. probably know that. I think, you can, I think you can put that at his feet, but that's about it. That's about it. And then, of course, Danny ends up getting rocket manned into the moon as he's he done He didn't get so hurt times. this time, did he? He got banged up pretty good. Yeah, I don't, but he didn't get, I, I don't think he's in risk of missing a race. Oh, no. Yeah, that's that's good because the poor kid at this stage, you all, I almost feel sorry for Danny Pedrosa. If you're not a Danny Pedrosa fan at this point, I think I think you don't have a heart. I agree. It's almost to that point. You like know? even even after all the Nikki thing, it, well, you just got to have him a little bit. You got to be like this poor kid will never get a championship. He's always going to fail. You got to give him. But he's so good. He's I, good at what he does. I think right? He's going to retire at the end of the year. Yeah, and it was cool to see. At Coda, because Danny coming back from from Argentina was not a hundred percent. That like was not him. It was really him to cool go that race he did that. was like Iron Man status. Sure, and to see the fans kind of respond to that, especially when American fans aren't haven't really been a friendly mm-hmm. group of people for for Danny Pedrosa. Mm-hmm. So to see that, I was like, that's good. And 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 buttressing in the fact that Coda renamed. Uh, turn 18 Hayden Hill so there's a lot of Nikki Hayden yeah. uh, memories going on and Ducati Corsa had Nikki's old bike outside the pit box so yeah. there was a lot of that sentiment going on so it was cool to kind of see that and contrast it with the fans being a little bit more friendly towards Danny it's like it brought a little closure in my mind which I thought was good and you know Nikki Nikki got over it years ago and literally I think he told me once like I've gotten over it I don't know why other people have it yeah so it was good to see that 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 kind of came together. Um, what else happened at Coda that I thought was interesting? Did you get a chance to look at, at Wooly's bike? His uh, custom no, I didn't. No, I no. didn't. Well, I guess we're not going to talk about it then. Sorry. I mean, I saw <laughs> pictures of it. It looked pretty rad. Yeah, it was interesting. I got to see it unveiled at um, an Alpine Stars event with Randy Mamola, who was inducted as a yep. MotoGP legend, which was also cool. I got to spend some some good time talking to Randy. Did you talk to Michael uh, Willoway? Yeah, yeah, we talked a little bit. We talked about the bike and and just what was going on. So it was right. cool. Talk, Probably, he, we talked a little bit about his Pikes Peak project and yeah, I was he, he made mention ask. that you were gonna you yeah. know turn some wrenches. Yeah, that's like the like the idiot you are. Yeah, I am. It is gnarly. I just was on the phone with him yesterday about like planning. We were talking about tire choices because it's such a clusterfuck to do this race because you get twelve miles up a mountain. In the middle of summer, even, you don't know whether it's going to be snowing on you or, or hot. Or I mean, there's so many different variables. And you're trying to ch- choose a specific amount of things and not have like 20 different choices, et cetera. So he's having to tr- not try and nail down tires to test on to get the chassis set up for to do the thing. And it's a, it's gnarly. So it'll be interesting to see. But yeah. I'm, he's running Bridgestones? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, think, so. I, think, I think we talked about that. Yeah. So anyway, it's an interesting thing. And if anybody... That's listening is going to be at Pike's Peak. I guess try and find me with Michael. Uh, you'll see a very strange looking, very loud. It doesn't look like a hyper motard any longer. It is a Ducati engined 
Michael special. So I don't know how else to describe it. It's pretty It'll gnarly. be red. <laughs> yeah, part of it, right? <laughs> All right. So uh, yeah, come up and say hi. Cool. I will be at home. Yeah. Uh, asleep. You don't want to get I'll up at warm. two in the morning for like four no. out of five days. Fuck that. <laughs> no, I am so done with Pike's Peak and the nonsense that comes with it. Uh, I am pretty stoked for for our buddy Rennie. He's going to be yeah, running. Yeah, I saw the that KCM. he's going to be able to go back. That's cool. Things kind of fell through with him and Bot Power. Uh, I guess the funding didn't quite come together, but uh, he'll be back out on his Super Duke, and he's been he's been getting pretty amped up for it. I saw him in where did I see him? I saw him recently, and he was pretty jazzed. So I'm, I'm stoked to see him do well. Um, you know, I I want to like that race, but it just it's such a headache. It's such a headache on sure. so many levels. The, yeah, especially when the, you're at the, the, the race altitude. organizations, a headache. The 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 Pikes Peak people are headaches. Some of the racers are headaches. The you get the headaches from the altitude. <laughs> That's the biggest. I'm the only like even the donuts at the top of the the mountain They're aren't that, that good. good. <laughs> and you're just like ah, but I want to like it because it's kind of cool. But I don't know. I don't know what the future is for that that race and motorcycles. But we'll see. Uh, moving right along, let's get through the Austin stuff. Uh, did you happen to see the Aprilia with the wings? Yeah, I did all the wings yeah because when i ran in the wing patrick he i was like hey where's the wing bike i want to see it and i see your wings yeah it was okay whatever it's like barbecue and wings come on Mm. 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 see what i did there Mm. that's a food reference Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah i thought that was an interesting interesting bike the most interesting thing was i'm sitting there we're doing photos and I'm asking kind of like, okay, what's the technical thing for this? Because it comes from their factory works program. You could you could have last year bought a factory works RSV4. This is like their made in Italy, Aprilia racing, but you can buy them as a consumer track bike. And wings were an option last year. They were an option. Okay. Right. But it was just for the just for the track bikes. And now they're taking these are like basically the exact same wings from that program being put onto the street bike. They're carbon fiber wings. And you know, I was asking like, all right, so like what kind of downforce are these going to do? And they're like, oh, well, they're not really like technical pieces. They're really more for cosmetics and, and to kind of draw an extension to like what's going on in our MotoGP program. They're basically saying these are vestigial organs. There's yeah, nothing. But then, but then like <laughs> they, but they come from the factory works thing. And I, I really don't think Aprilia Racing sitting around being like, oh, let's make something cosmetic. And, and by definition, like, any sort of plane that you put on a vehicle when it goes close to 200 miles an hour is going to have an aerodynamic effect. I, unless it's at zero degree and you're basically even, cutting air. Even then, though, right? It's going to have something. It's going to have something. It's going to put drag on it. It's going <laughs> right? to, yeah. Um, like even a strake would have an aerodynamic effect if even if it was at zero degrees. So, but it was interesting to, to talk to a couple people and they're like, yeah, it's not really like intended for that, but it, it almost felt like they were like hedging their bets. Like they didn't want to make any yeah. technical claims, even sure. though there probably was a technical benefit. They're just basically trying to figure out a way. Well, it looks cool like our MotoGP bike without like saying our it. MotoGP bike that keeps blowing up and or having lots of issues. An abject failure at this stage. I mean, you know, it was really interesting because I got to go into their pit box when they had the bikes all apart. They don't let you take any photos, but you can at least mill around and stick your nose and things. And I was sitting there going, like, this is the coolest thing. This just the way the bike's built, like just the the carbon fiber subframe and like this kind of and like everything that was built around the motor, just all the technical pieces. And you said like this is the cutting edge of design. Like this 
if someone had told me like Jensen, this is the new Aprilia Superbike that's coming out next year, I'd be like losing my mind right now. I'd be like, Quentin, this thing is so fucking rad. It's gonna be amaze balls when it comes out. But because Aprilia isn't like a front running team, you kinda go, No, yeah, I saw the yeah, I saw the RSGP. I guess it's cool, you know. It's it's barely finishing top ten. Ugh. You know, it only makes like two hundred and fifty horsepower. Everyone else is making two seventy. Yeah. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, sure. But you're like, you sit there and you're like, you have to like check yourself for a minute and be like, no, that was a pretty, that's a pretty rad thing. Everything they're doing in there is pretty darn rad. Yeah. And when you've got the factory Yamahas dwindling back and only Zarco doing well, it's like, it's not a game of what's the absolutely the most trick. It's how you put those pieces together, whether it be, you know, that amalgamation of carbon and titanium and, beryllium and yada 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 there could be all kinds of different ways to to skin the cat it could still be trick just not as fast because they're all i mean it would be interesting to see uh, i mean were they a second apart a, two seconds apart well if you're you know, scott redding you're about 20 seconds back yeah well scott let's <laughs> he's let's having not, a rough season let's not even talk about scott redding he's he's but no alicia's been up there like i think alicia's put up close impressive right? results and Argentina, there was a point, I think it was Argentina, it was somewhere where he was, he had got to the pole position point on in uh, qualifying one or something like that. It was like in the rain or something. It was like, oh my gosh, it's cool to see. At least it's kind of close, but then he got trickled back down in the order. Hey, hey at least it kind of got him up in the mm-hmm. up in the standings a bit, but not enough to be a, a front runner for long, for sure. Or off also when... Uh, Skipper Doodle took him out or almost took him out. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah. Right? So, Skipper Doodle. Skipper Doodle, yeah. <laughs> that, that's like the new Voldemort. Skipper Doodle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I did hear that we will see more wings in the future, and those will have much more technical yeah. backing with them. Like the Ducati and Suzuki and Yamaha and Honda. Everybody looks like they're doing. Everyone's playing around with it. It's the new, it's the new you know, hotness put a wing on it but um there's a lot of there's a lot of talk right now it's actually kind of an interesting time in gp because there's a lot of talk of them coming right out and and wanting to ban just winglets and just be like hey this is stupid you're this wasting has, a lot of money doing you're gonna this. waste a lot of money for tens of seconds and it's all kind of in reaction to the spec ecu stuff and the wheelie control that comes with that and they're looking for a mechanical wheelie control rather than electronic wheelie control and it has zero applicability to street bikes, which I think is kind of why Aprilia was kind of dancing around it uh, when we were talking about the the launch of the uh, Aprilia RSV4 RFLE, which is what we were talking about. There's a little couple letters in there. Ruffle. Kind of Ruffle coming back. They're, they're kind of getting OG with it. Like, hey, oh, let's yeah. put a couple more letters. It's time for some alphabet soup, guys. Uh, hey. Uh, by the way, I should mention 125 units, 100 for the US, 25 for Canada. Only going to be a North America thing. There's a little bit of conjecture. For the winglet bike? For the winglet bike. For this limited edition bike. Yeah. There's a little bit of conjecture. Does it have Olin's? I couldn't. I can't remember. Yeah, it's the RF bike. So it has all the fancy shit. It's just the RF bike with with wings, a special paint job. And the wheels are a different color, and it's got like a numbered addition plate on. So the it has plant. a has a plate, and there's gonna it's like thirty grand. It's not even that expensive. No, 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 it's not I mean, even like that. It's, not even that much. 
That, I shouldn't say not even that expensive. Yeah, Quinn's not even right. that much. I think it's like a fifteen hundred dollar premium or something like that. Yeah, so it's not bad. Totally worth it if you're going to get it. If you're already in the market and you want to have something special, there it is. You're still going to have a rad bike. It's still it's still an RS V four. Yeah, it's gonna it's still going to be rad. Sure. So it, it kind of just be expensive when you crash it with the winglets. Well, the carbon fiber too. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Don't think of them so much as winglets. Think about them as very robust GoPro crash <laughs> cages. You know, you just put your GoPro yeah. right in there. Sure, it's going to look good. Uh, where was I going with this? Oh, the 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 winglets and GP. One of the things that was interesting that came out last week is Claudio Domenicali just got elected yeah. as the head of the MSMA, which is the Manufacturers Association for MotoGP. So I don't know if that's just one of those kind of things where you know everyone kind of has their turn in the seat. But it's interesting that they that he's taking over the position from Honda. Yeah. Honda's had it the last kind of two goes around. And Honda's very much in the anti-aerodynamic camp. And yeah. Ducati's very much in the pro-aerodynamic camp. And I wonder if that signals maybe a shift in the GP landscape where there was this talk of not doing winglets, but now that Domenicali's in charge of the MSMA, or at least representing it um, when they do the GP commission that maybe that's a signal of what's going on behind the scenes. Possibly. That could be sure. interesting. Yeah. It could be interesting. Um, I still sit here and go, okay, there's no reason to do this for street bikes, but there's a great reason to have curs or some sort of development for electric drivetrain and maybe like a push to pass. And I don't understand why that's not a part of MotoGP's prerogative, but that's a whole nother podcast probably. Yeah, sure. Um, but, you know, time will tell if anyone ever listens to us, Quentin. As they should. As they should. Right. Uh, What should we talk about next? Um, Maybe we should talk about some local stuff. Sure. Because I have a very special shirt on today. Oh, it is special. I did. I wore it just so you'd be jealous. Oh, yeah. Because I don't have enough shirts in the motorcycle industry. It's a problem. Enough black motorcycle shirts. I have an issue with this. So this is really, I'm over here like just kind of, oh, my heart. My my closet too runneth runneth (laughs) over. Um, but what we're talking about is we had a, we're talking about Kramer motorcycles and Kramer. This is an interesting product. It's been around for a while and it, it's, it's basically a super twin that started life as like a 690 Duke with super twin. Did I say twin? Yeah. Super single. Yes. Okay. I don't know. I don't, I'm not even drinking. Mountain no, Dew. look at you with your San Pellegrino. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just, just whatever <laughs> washes out the hooker spit, you know? <laughs> oh God. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so it's a super single, and it was born, what, past five years? I think it's even longer than that, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. I remember I remember the very early days, and there was a couple, couple of these kind of Austrian-German people that were working on kind of super single concepts, and one was taking like an RC8 engine and lopping off one of the cylinders. Really? I don't and, remember that. Yeah, there's a lot of iterations <laughs> that were going on. Could think about that for a second. Taking an existing KTM twin engine and turning it into a single like KTM doesn't have a lot of singles, right? I don't know. I would, I don't I would know. really. Now Ducati, I can get like, there's a lot of people over the past 20 years that have been trying to make super monos out of twins because that super mono was such a big deal when it came out in the early nineties. It was so beautiful and so rad. And Ducati obviously dropped the fucking ball and didn't try and industrialize it to make it. So people have tried doing all kinds of stuff and been successful. Like Ben Fox will build you a crank with a bob weight on it and you can just 
put a cap on the cylinder and put it on most any Ducati engine. You could just remove your uh, horizontal cylinder, or sorry, your vertical cylinder, and you've got the horizontal, and it's very much like a Supermono. It's a very interesting thing, and I get it with Ducatis because they weren't making a single. With KTM, it's like you have a plethora of things to choose from to make a super single with, and they chose... I think when did the 690 come out? It was like 08 or 09, something like that. That that particular engine when they started making the, the 690. LC4 engine. I don't know if it is an LC4. I don't remember. I don't know the nomenclature of the engines. All I know is that this engine has proven to be quite a robust thing, not only from a racy standpoint, but also longevity for people owning them and riding them on the street, et cetera, which isn't something you can say often for big singles. They're known for being kind of tricky to keep alive for long periods of time, right? You're just slinging around unbalanced, this big-ass piston and big-ass rod and big-ass crank. Um, so, yeah, it's cool to see that they're able to take this motor, put it into a chassis that's it's still kind of super moto-y. It's really high. Uh, I don't know how to describe it. So the steering head is high up. It looks it. And I'm not saying it is. It just looks. It kind of like the whole bike seems like it has a a high center of gravity. Having ridden one, everybody that we know that has ridden it is like immediately in love with it. So that's what we should say. We should we have four local racers that have that have bought these their track bikes and they're racing them in our our local series here at Oma. And the base model is sixteen, 16 grand, grand, yeah. And the R model is twenty one grand, yeah. So this this is a whole nother conversation, but it's like. People are buying this, a 690 KTM-engined single, bespoke race bike, no lights, no kickstand, no nothing, and it's sadly. 280 pounds. And it's, so it's super, super rad, light. super light, super awesome, but they'd rather spend $21,000 on this than on some, you name crotch rocket, R1, Panigale, whatever. Right, and I think that's an interesting dynamic. See that that comes right back to our conversation of talking about the super sport class, where we sit there and be like, "I would love to see someone come in and make a proper super sport with all the bells and whistles, make it rev, do all the things like like make a modern day super sport because all the super sports on the market right now are like almost a decade old." You're talking about the six hundred, six hundred class, okay? Yeah, but it's that idea of like. You know, or, or I had the same conversation with 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 Claudia Domenicali actually when the V4 engine was coming out, and we were saying like, you know, okay, so is there any chance you'll make a 600 cc V4? And he goes, no, 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 no. The price, <sighs> the price would, it would never so make wicked. sense. Yeah, no, it wouldn't. And I go like, it, well, I think the Kramer is kind of an example of where it would. Uh huh. There, there is a market for for. Race enthusiasts for track day enthusiasts, for super trick shit that want like yeah. yeah hey I want the the six hundred that'll rev to twenty thousand RPMs and make I don't know one hundred and fifty horsepower. And I want to ride silly. a bike that I feel that I'm mostly in control of, and I've said this before on the podcast. You put me on a twelve ninety nine Panigale, I can ride it pretty fast, and I'm confident on it. But man, is it an animal? And you feel like you know some sometimes it's a good thing to be. Um, having your heart race because you're on something that's almost uncontrollable fast, but I'm way more comfortable and having way more fun on my 848 where I'm in that zone of, you know, being able to danger? ride it hard. Danger zone. I'm in, the, I'm in the danger zone. So yeah, I like that. And the same goes for smaller, smaller bikes in general. So I could see this with this bike, with the Kramer specifically, you're looking at, okay, tech from KTM that can, we hope, 
live. So that's I, my big. That's my big worry. I want to see. I want to see yeah. a season of these things racing down the long straights yeah. of PIR. Yeah. And if that motor's still intact at the end of it, then I'm a believer. Yeah, because PIR out of all the tracks is is one of the gnarlier of the tracks that can. Well, you just spend a lot of time at high RPM under high load. Yeah. So two long straightaways, basically, even though they're not that one of them's not that straight, you're still high RPM for a long time on the back straight and under heavy load, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what's going to kill a motor is that a high RPM operation. So um, there's a, a bunch of tracks that, that could be, you know, a, a problem with, but PIR is going to be one of them for sure. It'll test it. Yeah, I could actually see Coda being be an issue too with that super oh, long dude. back straight. Oh my gosh! And then the hill. Yeah, that's the whole thing. Road America, Brainerd. There's a few of them that are really have long straightaways that do that. Uh, whatever. We'll see. We'll find out, and it'll be interesting to see from a chassis standpoint. We got. I got the chance to see because Matt crashed his. Unfortunately, a guy named Drat also crashed his, and this is, uh, was a bit of a concern for me because I'm like, okay, these people are crashing these bikes pretty quickly. But first race weekend of the year, there's goose shit all over PIR. Really bad conditions. And the conditions weren't great. So I'm just going to give that a, a buy. But uh, my wonder is, is the chassis set up on these things good for American tracks? Because a bike that is set up, you know, in fast flow European style tracks might not necessarily be as good at these awful point and shoot corners that we have here. Um, with that said, I don't think either the crashes had anything to do with point and shoot corners. So is it a feel thing? Is it just bad conditions? Maybe, but that would be the thing that I'd want to know is, okay, why, why are these things so apt to, to be crashed or is it just happenstance first race? Weekend? Just, just to play devil's advocate of the two gentlemen you just mentioned, one crashed out while in the lead of his race and the other crashed out while putting down a track record lap for that class. Yeah. So and they're both known as crashers. Oh, yeah. I didn't say that. I did. I didn't say I didn't, that. No, no, they both, I mean, even Matt would probably say, yeah, I've crashed a lot of shit in my day, right? If you tell me, uh, if it was me, you'd be like, yeah, Quentin's not crashed a lot of shit in his day. I'm a crasher. Quentin's a crasher. Yeah. Jensen, not a crasher. No. Not a crasher. Yeah. So, bottom line is I think the bikes are neat, and we got a chance to see it apart after Matt had crashed his. Uh, Matt the crasher. So, <laughs> crash oh, So got it apart, and man, is it cool! A lot of interesting stuff that the, that they had done, uh, rapid prototype uh, parts that were part of, say, the induction system. The way the bodywork fit together, the way all the components that you'd find on a six ninety fit on the frame, the way the frame fit to the swing arm. Everything was really cool, like extremely well done. And that's why I really wanted to bring it up. I just uh, did a photo shoot with one uh, yesterday. So I got to really spend a lot of time up close with it. And the thing that strikes me about these bikes is the attention to detail. Yeah, fit and, and finish and is just, amazing. And just the purposefulness of, of the design. So the rear subframe is, it's the gas tank, basically. Yep. It's, a, it's a spun plastic bespoke gas tank. Roto, roto molded? I yeah, think that's what yeah, you call it. Yep. Yeah. And um, it has uh, like a, a siding glass kind of hole. That goes right down to where the you know compression or rebound uh, damping sending is on the yep. on the shock, and it was just very clever. Like it's it's covering up this thing. We made a hole so you can get right down there for screwdriver. Sure. It's really easy. It's got integrated um, sliders on yeah. on the fuel tank right where it would kind of hit on the ground. Yep. So you know it's got a little bit of protection. It's just all these little fit and finishes that you look at and you're like, yeah, that's really clever. That was done by someone that knew you're going to take this to a racetrack. That you knew that. 
crashing is a reality yeah. and like in the frame uh welded in is spots where you can put in kind of these i think i think kramer actually makes them but these frame sliders so it's not like you're gonna have to like put on frame sliders in a janky sort of no, way. The, yeah. the frame is They're built like, with them with frame what sliders What does everybody in do to race bikes that is club racing yeah. and or even some professional stuff the swing arm has pads on it right yeah plastic pads at the back of the swing arm where they usually take a hit yeah it's great it's an amazing thing it's well done and i i'm pretty impressed by it comes out of the box with different maps for pump gas and race fuel i mean really really slick really well thought out and by the time like you put together an fc07 or an sv650 and, and get it raced out to the same level 16 grand's kind of in the ballpark oh easily and you and know? i was looking at even the ktm 390 they just released that race kit for it which is like 20 grand it's ridiculous uh, right for the whole thing though i think right yeah, yeah so yeah, you yeah. get a bike and i think the the bike's eh, six or seven grand and then the kit is 11 or 12 grand something like that whatever it is it's close enough to where you're talking about a 390 and i get it that's a high level uh moto america level thing right and the kramer isn't yet there but kramer's gonna well hopefully kramer will get a foot in the door with the AMA because the AMA has made a quote unquote twins class, right. which is the, a pretty stupid thing because then they're keeping out some interesting singles like this. I'm not saying that they should make it open for singles because it would turn it into what it used to be, which was pro blunder back in the day, early 2000s. They had this pro blunder class that had singles and twins, and it was, you know, a farty sounding, horrible mess of contraptions that were unfortunately. There were like five bikes that were super high level, badass, well prepped things. And then the rest of the field was club racers that were just, I mean, they were oil and tracks and you know, super loud and obnoxious, et cetera. And I don't want to see it turn back into that. But if you have a bike that's this well sorted, they should be in this class and they should be homologated for the class. And at the first race of weekend of the year for that class at, I think it was Road Atlanta, eight people showed up, I believe. That's fucked. And then the last race, I just looked for, there was like 13 or 14 people in the class. And this is the SV650s, probably the Kawasaki 650, et cetera. Yeah. So, and, and the big thing is the FZ07, which is now the MT07, which is really bad marketing. Um, I don't know why you would ever call your bike empty. I also don't know why you ever call your bike <laughs> zero. Just to just throwing those things empty. out there. I never thought of that. This thing's empty. It's an empty seven. I don't know, man. Empty calories. Yeah. So if they, it's like a it, diet coke. It should be. It should be rad. But I think I think there's a little bit of that following the money. Yamaha has a yeah. vested interest in making the MTO seven a thing. They made the the KTM seven ninety Duke legal in it, even though that's not available in the US yet. So good job there. Yeah, but that's but when coming. that comes out, that's gonna be rad. No, and I, I, I've already talked to a couple of KTM dealerships because I'm interested. Like, if I was gonna put money back into racing at a at a higher level, I think about my 848 just sitting there. I can't really race that anywhere at a high level, and it would be just club racing, whatever. And it's fun and it's great. But if I wanted to get back into it at the sharp end, what would I do? That KTM for sure. I, I'm right there with you. In fact, I really hope Kramer follows up. For like their next model, ooh, that'd be neat. Uses the seven ninety bespoke low. race bike, yeah. KTM seven ninety twin thing. Yeah, uh, I don't know a, if it makes sense like price wise and class wise because then you're probably getting into like R six super sport yeah, territory sure. in, in terms of cost. But I way knows, I way rather rock one of those than than an R six. Yeah, that might be the thing. Uh, also, we have some friends. One of our good friends, Christian, is racing a cripple triple, right. which I think we've talked about on the show where. 
you b- disable one cylinder of a 600 and that puts it into the 450 cat category or close and then uh yeah if the if they're if the rules are set up well you can basically flip a switch turn it back into a 600 uh and race it in whatever other classes yeah. while you're doing it so christian's using it as a good tool to get back into racing after about a 15 year hiatus and it goes right in the same line with all of these things we're talking about cheaper racing good chassis Maybe a little less horsepower, but really cool or good chassis, because the R6 chassis is the got to be the most proven track day chassis, race chassis ever. It's like you can't go wrong with an R6. You, there's data for days on how to set one up. There's parts and pieces for it everywhere. It's it's easy to deal with on every pickup, use parts cheap all the time. Yeah. Right? Everything everything about the R6 is great for racing. It, it, it is, and it, other than the bikes are ugly, who cares? Right? I like so, the way the new one looks. Yeah, the new one's fine. The other ones are, meh. but who cares? Because it's just a race bike you're just putting race body work on it fucking doesn't matter so he's racing a cripple triple and he's having fun and it looks like a lot of fun he had a lot of fun the last weekend i was out there so i see that as an analog to this and a lot of these other like where are you going to spend money if you're going to go to track days are you going to go buy the Ponagali v4 well super rich dude or woman is they're going to be like i want to have the best you should definitely buy a Ponagali v4 sure if you have the money right if you have the means i highly recommend it. yeah exactly same thing goes with the Aprilia, but most people that have done that are kind of like, well, fuck, right? It's it's a lot of bike. Whereas if you're really into it and you're really going to race a season and you don't necessarily want to spend all the money, then you don't want the R1 or a GSXR or whatever. You try and get into this middle group. The best part of the Kramer thing is then you're not immediately thrust into the 600 class, which is still kind of a gnarly class of up-and-comers that are trying to go too fast and too hard all at once, in a, in a, depending on the club, right? Would you say they're going hard in the paint? They're, I don't know what that means. Yeah, I know. I know you don't know what that means. I don't understand hard, hard in the paint. Like, if you're on the paint, then you might crash. So I don't want to be anywhere near the paint. Right? Yeah, that's close. That's good. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to go hard on the paint. Go hard on the asphalt. Yeah, go hard in the asphalt. Go yeah. hard at the apex. All right. So anyway, cool, cool that you were able to see that. Hopefully, you'll get a chance to ride one in the not too distant that future. That is the plan. Motocross track day. We're gonna, yeah, we're working on it. There's some legal stuff that needs to be figured out. There's some sound stuff that needs to be figured out. There's some clutch stuff that needs to be figured mm-hmm. out. I think the uh, the demo bike that's here in town got raided for parts. Yeah, for I watched it one of the unnamed uh-huh. crashers. Yeah. So um, once that that comes together, hopefully uh, I can swing a leg over it, and hopefully you can as well, and we can we can follow back on this. I'm stoked by these bikes. I think they're really cool. 75 horsepower for the S model, 80 for the R. The the guys in in Europe they have an RR version, which is like 732 cc's and makes like 90 horsepower. So they're making really good power on a really lightweight bike, and it's really purpose built, and it looks like it's it's done right and tight. Um, I'd be pretty, pretty stoked on it if I was just in the market for a track bike. Sure. I know I've gotten a lot of messages on my Facebook wall from you about it. So <laughs> get, get rid of that hyper and get rid of your R1 and get one of these. That'd be great. If you would like to buy a hyper motard, never wheelied, <laughs> uh, let me know. I know a guy. Never wheelied. Never wheelied. Never, never once wheelied. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I don't I make no disclosures on that. Sold as is. Don't need to. Yeah. <laughs> How many miles are on it? 3,000. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. It's so awesome. it's still under warranty. Yeah. Be fine. Yeah, totally. Be fine. 
Um, moving along, moving along, moving along. Um, we were talking before the show started about how the industry is collapsing in on itself like a dying star, Quentin. <laughs> yeah. It's just, this is actually... I have to like readjust myself in the seat. Like I'm about to get serious. Yeah, because like, only... I we we didn't really talk about any other than you just said that, and I made some supernova jokes, quasars, whatever. And then I don't know why why I haven't been paying enough attention to see. You know, there's like quarterly results coming out that are not great, but not great. That's such a great way of saying something that is just plummeting into the singularity black hole. Yeah, is it that bad? It kind of is. Um. We mentioned it last show that the tire sales were down 20% last year. And, and did you verify our, that, that that's a true thing? Yes. Okay. Um, for, from which manufacturer or multiples or did you like... I heard that from a tire manufacturer and I, and I saw the, the data. Okay. Um, I'm not supposed to see the data if the MIC is listening. What data? The MIC? What? Who said anything about MIC? I don't know what you're talking about. Drop the mic, what? man. Um, but you know, I got my sources. The thing that scares me even more, Q1 2018 down almost 17% over this over time the year prior. Last year. Yeah. So that trend, and, and we talked about this last show, that is kind of the one of the barometers, I should say. It's not the only one, but it's it's definitely a big one on the health of the industry because that kind of measures people out on bikes yeah so we kind of like when we look at new sale figures that's just new sales that that doesn't count all the used bikes that are getting sold on craigslist or on facebook or wherever used bikes are sold these days and that's and we don't really have a great way of measuring sure. used bike sales uh, at least not directly i think you can get some anecdotal and yeah. make some references based on like what you see on cycle trader and and i don't think craigslist is probably doing any sort of data collection no and we Deal- were- and some dealerships have you know, that have a robust used department, they probably track those sales and can see kind of what the market's doing. But for me, tire sales is really a great example of, okay, like who's out there putting down miles. And that's the more important thing. Cause that means people are going to rallies. That means people are probably buying parts. They're going to races. They're, they're getting out and about, they're going down to their dealerships. They're buying gear. They're buying consumables. Tires are consumable. So that shows me how many people are out there doing the thing. And the fact that it was down 20% last year, it's down 17% so far this year. And I did have someone tell me today that, you know, Q1 this year was crazy weather back east, and maybe that's affecting things. But when the bulk of this industry is in the Western states, I don't know. I don't know, Quentin. I'm really worried. And then I see Harley Davidson come out, and uh, (laughs) my headline was Harley Davidson sales free fall in Q1 2018. That picture is Priceless. Well, that's a good piece of Photoshop right there. I, huh? I, I, right? I pointed it out to Jet. I was like, this is this is pretty funny. I like this. I felt <laughs> I felt bad, but it is what it is, right? But it's it's crazy <laughs> times because sales are down 12% in the US. They're basically flat outside of the US. And that that adds up for a 7.2% drop total for, for Harley Davidson in Q1 2018, which is a lot because it's 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 been in this free fall. It's not like, okay, we found rock bottom and we're coming back up. It's no sales continue to slide and they continue to slide only here, only here in the United States. And I don't think anyone's really wrapping their head around why. And we had talked, I think a show or two ago about this idea that, you know, 2018 sounds good. Everyone's excited and people are positive and this is going to be it. And it's like, nope, nope. 
And when we we even said like you know I I've seen no one explain to me why they think this will be a good year. It's just like this like fake it till yeah, you make it feeling it yeah. And and I think now we're starting to see the proof of like no we were definitely faking it. There was definitely no making. Well, it. I want to see more. I want to understand more. Is maybe because like I was telling you, I've been going to very dirt centric places, and dirt seems to be going. Dirt sales are doing better. That is the only place I think where there is any growth. Okay, well that's what I'd want to know. But they're not strong. Yeah. You know, the MIC data that I haven't seen, they're not strong sales. Uh, here's the deal. I, I, this is an interesting theory. I'm, I look on Craigslist every once in a while, just do a bit of a scour just for anything in particular to see if there's anything out there. And I do a, I did a full scour uh, this weekend. I went all the way through every 3,000 bikes that was on Portland Craigslist, just in case. Sometimes you put right, you in did a, a deep dive. I did. I wanted to see what's out there. I'm curious. I just hadn't done it in a while. Did Dirt, you see a Hyper Motard 939 SP by any chance? I did. The one in like Washougal or Camus or something like yeah. that, but not yours. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's asking way 12. too little. 12.5, yeah, right? He's asking way too little. Yeah. You got that price. All right. So <laughs> I was looking at dirt bikes, right? Yeah specifically interested in like what what is out there there's a lot of really good bikes that are pre-owned out there my question is are we are we seeing people like using the things and i don't know are they are the bikes are there so many bikes out there now that you can buy pre-owned that who cares about new? You just continue flowing along, buying pre-owned bikes and maintaining them kind of poorly. And maybe we're going to get reached to a point there is going to be more maintenance done eventually because there's just so many motorcycles out there. And over the course of the past 20 years, I think I brought this up in a, in a past podcast. They're just staying together more and their their quality has been good for a really long time. And I think that's definitely a part of it. There, that definitely has to be a component to it. I don't know if it's the reason, yeah, but that's maybe but, a little but bit. But there of it. is, there is an element like, well, if like, you know, we, we, we sure. harp on Ducati too often drink, but they're a great example of look at the valve maintenance that has the changes in that for, yeah. for Ducati over the last 10 years. Yeah, it's from gone 6, from 6,000 to 18,000 miles. Right. Yeah. And, and, and just use that and extrapolate that across the industry. Like bikes are definitely lasting longer. They're definitely better built than they used to be. And, you know, it comes kind of back to this idea of like, how much better is motorcycle X, you know, for the 2018 model year than its predecessor was 10 years ago versus that bike and its predecessor 10 years before yeah, that. Sure. Like, the, there has been a diminishing return in terms of performance and quality and technology and fitting the needs. And, you know, we see a couple of manufacturers that are kind of blending segments together, trying to find, you know, new kind of niches to go look into. But, at the end of the day, like the the most innovative category that the motorcycle industry has created in the last 10, 20 years is probably the adventure touring category. And everything else is just kind of like, oh, wait, well, sport touring, same sport old, adventure, yeah. what, what is that? You know? Well, I don't know. I dr driving over here today, uh, I it was an amazing amount of traffic. I don't can't remember seeing a motorcyclist in that. Yeah, Portland's horrible. And you Why would you? That's a bad deal, and that that's a good example of like it's a beautiful day here in Portland, and it should be. And I think it was interesting. So yesterday I got to go. Uh, I I did a really interesting kind of not a press launch, but press thing on an e-bike manufacturer, uh, Reese and Mueller. They were doing a, a thing here in Portland. I kind of just tagged along just because I kind of wanted to understand this e-bike space. Yeah, because we're seeing kind this of, is bicycles. This is bicycles with augmented bicycles. electric drive. Right. 
right? So a lot of them are using Bosch. I think Yamaha has a system of its own. Shimano has a system. I think those are Shimano. I think Shimano and Bosch truly are the are the big players, and yeah. Yamaha is just kind of spinning its wheels. But they're in that space as well, which is interesting. And we've seen, you know, KTM and Kajiva already come out and say, hey, we are looking at this space. We think there's something between this and a motorcycle that could exist. And, you know, if you actually rewind about a decade ago, that's kind of what Zero started out as. These were these electric motorcycles that were really built around kind of bicycle philosophies for engineering. Ended up kind of being <laughs> to their detriment because the frames yeah. would crack and the wheels were bad and the suspension was, you know, horrible. And, and it was their bad. electric drives are awful and on and on and on at that it, time. It was bad news bears, but it was kind of like one of those things where it's like, you know, almost kind of ahead of its time in this idea of like, well, there could be this electric thing that exists in this space. I'm getting ahead of myself. But anyway, so I got to go ride this, this electric bike, this e-bike. And, you know, here looking at like um, from a transportation point of view. It's really hard to make an argument why that wouldn't be your chosen form of, of transportation here in the Portland area because of all the green lanes that we have that are set up for bicycles, for all the special bike paths for kind of how the city is set up. And then, yeah, okay, we're not the flattest city out there, but with an electric assist, it really doesn't matter. Like I was doing 20 miles an hour down the trail which would be like a normal cadence on a road bike to be like, yeah, you're doing you're work. You're hauling ass. You know, yeah. you're, you're doing work Yeah, at 20 miles an hour on a, on a proper road bike with skinny yep. little tires. And here I am on this like 65 pound beast of a bike with these thick tires that are almost motorcycle tires. And just not no even effort. breaking a sweat. Not even breaking a sweat. And you're like, so there's like, that starts making sense. Oh, and I can park it on the curb and oh, I can, you know, just wheel it right into my building. And, you know, I have all these, these kind of urban provisions for it that make a lot of sense. Because, you know, Portland as a city has kind of given up on cars and by extension has definitely given up on motorcycles. Thankfully, other places like California still have lane splitting where it makes sense. But that's the point I'm driving towards is from a transportation point of view, we don't really have a good proposition for people as a motorcycle industry. Whereas if you go to Europe, it still is there. Motorcycles as transportation makes, makes sense in absolute Europe. sense, yeah. Maybe it's not necessarily a motorcycle. Maybe it's a scooter. Yeah. But that that is a thing. You can split lanes. The parking's easier. The insurance is better. There's there's a whole bunch of different categories. Gas is expensive there. Gas is super cetera. expensive. So the efficiency makes a lot of sense. And so I think that's part of the reason we're not seeing sales rebound because it is purely a uh, recreational item here. It is a consumer discretionary income item in the U.S., and people are looking to spend their money elsewhere. And it was really interesting to see like the this particular e-bike was $6,500, the one that I rode. Mm. And I'm like, that's a motorcycle. Easily, yeah. That's easily a motorcycle. And then I go and look around. And actually, this is a topic I want to talk about because um, Honda's coming out with that monkey bike, that retro style monkey bike, which so I think is basically a Grom. It's a Grom with looks, different bodywork. Yeah. But I think it's really cool. And I think it kind of touches on on that vintage thing. I would totally want to rock one. I think they're they're adorable. I've always kind of liked the Grom in the first place. But you look at that and like it's a three quarters size motorcycle. Yeah. And it's still three grand plus. I think it's gonna come to the US about thirty five, four thousand, something like that. Four thousand dollars for not even a full size motorcycle. We don't have a cheap, affordable, transportation focused offering for people. On the, on the on the new side from OEMs, so it just doesn't exist. You know, if you want to get into a proper motorcycle, new, like you're looking to start around five thousand plus. Yeah, sure. Dollars wise, and at that point, like 
Yeah, an e-bike does still make more sense because I can go get the whammy bammy e-bike that gets like a hundred mile range is way easier to park and way easier to to get around town. I've got all these special lanes and I'm, you know, the the golden child of transportation in Oregon. I don't know. I don't know. I think that's where we're we're missing out on, on a lot of these sales. I think that, I'm gonna have to figure out a way to put a crank set on my on the Alta. And that way it looks well, like um just all I have to do is just pedal. Just like a fake and one. And just stay in the lane. <laughs> Truthfully, like that that's one of the things that's kind of coming up with the legislature and and it's this idea of okay, so you have this pedal assist versus throttle versus you know, can an e-bike go down uh, a mountain bike only trail or can it go on a, a motor motorcycle yeah. trail? And you know, what where, where, where are these uses and where are we gonna start making these dividing lines. I was talking to the CEO of this e-bike company and she was telling me that in Germany, the they're making, they're starting to draw lines at, at what speed the e-assist yeah. stops helping you. And they're saying like, you know, they're capping it. If like you want to be treated as a bicycle, yeah. it has to stop at 20 miles and an hour. And that makes sense. Sure. It does and it doesn't. I mean, I, I guess I can kind of see both sides of it. Like, but then at that point, like why would I want to buy I mean, I want to buy the one that goes 40 miles an hour because I want that that wind in my hair and I want the extra efficiency. I don't of want you getting... on a bicycle in a in a bicycle lane on and next. You well, know? that's the thing. The closing speed starts yeah, becoming. Yeah, I would issue. want that as a bicyclist, and uh, you you're a bicyclist as well. Can you imagine going along? You got somebody going 40. You you would have like a time trial motherfucker <laughs> going down 40. Right. But you don't want that on a, on a, in a city bike path. Which brings... on the street, then yes. Right. But then you're. Then it's lights and but, blinkers and all right, legal stuff. Well, that was that was what she was saying. Like at that point, they do treat it like that, and you have to have a number plate in yeah. the whole Shazam. And that makes sense. So it's very interesting. Do you want to? Okay, I'm going to give you an option. Choose your own adventure here. Oh, I like. Do it. you want to go positive or you want to go negative? Yeah, negative. Let's go negative. Eric Buell's back, baby. Oh yeah, that's fucking horrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> that that whole thing when I first saw that. I mean. The fact that they would release that information with some shitty rendering of a shitty thing. I was like, ah, oh, God so, damn it. So the, the news headline here is Eric Buell is working with Vanguard Motorcycles to produce an electric motorcycle. <laughs> it's just, I'm sorry, I got that. That's not negative, it's funny. <laughs> uh. I like the guy's grit. Yeah, you know he's he's gonna. Well, what's, yeah, what's interesting? Sure. There's actually not a lot of information here, which I thought was no. really strange. Like they're not. So Vanguard is a New York kind of upstart, New York City. They're making kind of a roadster cruiser. Kind of has like some elements of Confederate in its design. Uh, I think they're using the same SNS motor. Oh, the, it's an existing gas engine thing. Yeah, and it's yeah, called they have, yeah, Vanguard. Yeah, I don't know if we can. Have you already? This is, this is good radio of me. Showing me a picture me of a some photo. turd wedge of a bike. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't hate it. It's not my jam. I don't hate it. I don't like it. Really? It's not my jam. Okay. That's well, horrible. I, I could get into it. It is it is what it is. I want to know the plan. I want to yeah. know what what is Eric's gonna, role in the company going to be? What's his involvement? What's the plan with this, this electric model? And it's interesting that their other technical partner is Spark Racing, which is heavily involved with the formula e racing project mm. and you and i have talked about formula e before oh by the way do you know who's who's leading the championship no right now? i don't who exactly that's my exact <laughs> that's my whole point these are the same people that were a part of the whole like let's let's have pit stops where you switch cars because that'll get around the charging issues that we have with electric vehicles and we'll just we'll just stop the race and everyone get in a new car and we'll start the race up again that sounds like a great idea <laughs> they're the technical partner for that 
which I mean, I'm being a little poopy, but they probably know <laughs> a thing or two about an electron. But I just kind of sit there and I'm just like, there's nothing about this announcement that makes me feel good. That like that's gonna be that's gonna be something that's that's cool and what I and then you look at the bike and it's called the commuter and it is a total dud wah, in my wah, mind. Wah. But I will say, Quentin, I will say, where'd it go? Going back to the e-bike thing, this looks rad. That does look neat. They're, I like their little book. bicycle what is, e-bike. What is that? It is called the Vanguard Spark Speed Bike. Oh, so that's a Vanguard. Yeah, it's the same thing. So that's okay. that's the second. I didn't they're, understand. They're coming out with two, two products here. And then I look at it and I'm like, that's an interesting looking kind of downhill-ish mountain bike. Bicycle. I would put that in my garage. I would rock the shit out of that. Sure. That's a good looking bike. Okay. For $19.99. I, I like the whole. I like the whole. I'm but you know very, what I'm saying? Like, I, I for a price point, maybe, but I'm. Oh, I don't know what you the tell price me. Point. I'm going to have to spend $6,500 on that. That's, Yawn, going to a motorcycle, right? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I'm, I might, 65 might be high, but five. And you, and if you, if you can tell me that it's going to get 100 miles on trails and, and I'm not going to have to sweat my ass going up the hill and I can just bomb down the hills like yeah, I want to sure. go, maybe that's the thing. And that, and that's that kind of hybrid space that we haven't quite figured out yet that i think is interesting and maybe and maybe this is a great application for for eric and his and his design ideas and maybe some of them start paying off on a bicycle side i don't know sure I'll be, i'm curious to see what happens i'm very reluctant to get behind it i think that's my final thought on it i'll just go and lockstep with you on that one fair enough coward now positive 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 where'd it go one of the things i thought was really cool and it was really kind of quietly done was this 3D printing technology that BMW was showing off yeah, recently. Yeah, the weird frame that looks like, it seriously looks like an HR Geiger drawing of like what an alien would ooze out and make a motorcycle frame of. Yeah, so BMW made this, this and they did it really quietly, but they made this interesting 3D printed laser centering frame, but they used um, what's called topology optimization which kind of comes with these kind of organic looking spider webby. Yeah. It looks like an organic trellis, like what you would imagine. Like if a spider came along and just kind of yeah. like made a frame. I think it looks straight up like one of HR Geiger's aliens. Yeah. Okay. Oozes out a structure <laughs> and that's what they make. Right. Yeah. If you seriously watch the movie aliens and the, when they go into the, the main cooling chamber of the reactor, and they have the, the the walls are now covered with this alien, bleh, right? And I they don't really show the aliens creating, but that's what it looks like. It's very similar. Right? Yeah, yeah. But it's this idea of so the computer goes in and basically with the criteria that you give it says, okay, this is to make these st- structural things. This is exactly the most efficient form. Yeah. That that you need, and it gets rid of all the materials that you don't need. And so because it's, still it's 3D, structurally sound, it still yeah. has the same stiffness, maybe the same. Whatever it, it meets strength. the same criteria that you program into it, but yeah. because before you yeah. were working with maybe a a box aluminum extrusion or sure. a trellis or, or a whatever casting or whatever it might be, whatever it was, you were limited by that. You were you were limited by the construction process on what would come out. So you're you're only as good as maybe your weakest criteria. Sure. Whereas this can optimize and you know all the axes what what needs to be done and get rid of because you're 3D printing mm-hmm. only create the the metal and material that you need to achieve those goals sure and it's a very interesting kind of concept like for me like that gets me excited about motorcycle design and it really starts getting me thinking about 
in this this idea that you know manufacturing is about to change because of rapid prototyping and you know just in time you know like supply like we're not going to have supply chains anymore you're going to make everything you're just going to press as you need a button it. and it'll print out the thing you need right right <laughs> and that's kind of like a change a crazy kind of changing world i think for april fools uh i think it was bmw actually that did it and they said like hey we're going to put them uh on our gs we're going to put uh, a top box that has a what's called a maker's a maker's box inside of it uh, and it's just it's a rapid prototype consumer level 3d printer and so like when you're out on the trail and you break a part off you know it can just you can just make it right there <laughs> and you're like oh you laugh mm-hmm. not that not that crazy of an mm-hmm. idea not sure. that far off in the future like mm-hmm. that would could actually be a thing you're not going to have your tool roll anymore like these hipster tool rolls where you like have five wrenches and a couple spanners and all these other things or it's like no nope. hipster tool roll that's what i have in my backpack when i dirt bike ride okay Okay. Yeah, you're legit. Right. I right. mean, that's that's not. I know what you mean, though. A bespoke leather, right? Properly, you know, right? Tanned by you know Indonesian immigrants or whatever the thing is that Whoa they're now. doing. Right. Well, you know, Indonesia probably tan sides, right? So they have these things, and if this case, in this case, would you do that? No, but you could ostensibly have something like that. I don't know. Wandering through the wilderness on a, in a big truck or something like, I guess you could have a 3D printer. The key was that be that it would have to be like the centerized metal style. So when I was at Moto Sys, we had a rapid prototype machine on hand at the time, and it was CA glue and powder. So the powder would be laid across, and then CA glue. Uh, I can't remember the methyl ethyl death name. It's super glue basically. Would would then be dripped onto it in a very specific pattern and then layered up and up and up and up and up. Each layer was CA glue and I was on uh, powder. Then you'd lift the part out of the powder and then you you had a thing to use to to look at what it would be. You had a thing to use to maybe place it against other parts of the bike or whatever it was, right? You wouldn't use that piece as what, a functional thing. It wasn't load bearing, it wasn't nope, structural, nope, just cosmetic. We had a place yeah. out of the Michigan area somewhere in the car industry that would make us varying levels of plastic depending on what we were needing and we needed in a pretty bad way a valve cover which was hideously complex on the motosis because it was a triple cam valve cover with the intakes that went through the cover it's hard without seeing a picture of it you wouldn't even you can't really difficult to make really difficult to remanufacture once you've designed it so we would have them make it out of some bizarro plastic and uh, had iterated on a couple of them so that it would stay basically flat or straight while we ran an engine that was very hot. It was an interesting part of it. Also, there were centered metal pieces that we would get that would hold structure, right? And that's an interesting thing. And nowadays, that's kind of like part of the process. You can get titanium or aluminum-centered pieces that... I don't know if they're strong. I w- it would be interesting to have somebody tell us that, yeah, yeah, this is absolutely, this can yeah. hold the material, it can hold dimensional accuracy, and it and it holds pull strength and squish strength and shear strength, all that. I don't know, but that is a thing, depending on what you're making or how you're making it, right? Right. My understanding is, like, no, it's not as strong because something that's supposed to be, let's say, like aluminum sure. would be normally like, like 96% raw aluminum. Yeah. And- and now and it's like isn't. it's more like eighty percent because there has to be some sort uh-huh. of additive glue that's kind of holding it all together. Yeah. Um, but that's not bad. Yeah, especially if it's an emergency situation. Yeah. Emergency sure. situation. Maybe it has to be bigger than it was before, but 
there is something there, and this is probably part of a, a longer and much larger conversation that you and I will have over multiple podcasts about this kind of shift in, in manufacturing. And I've already heard this from a couple of OEMs about how they're looking at 3D technology, 3D printing technology, and this additive manufacturing and what that can mean for their their design ideas and also for like their manufacturing process. You know, you look at a couple I can think of a couple Italian brands that have some issues with getting parts to the United States in a timely fashion. <laughs> Wouldn't it be cool if your dealer could just load a file, push a button and that, you know, part that would normally take like 3 weeks for it to get here is available, you know, a couple hours later. Like you go and you have some pasta, you have a, maybe a beer and you come back, you know, your parts ready and the tech's already installing it back onto the bike. That's an interesting or thing. Or even if that isn't necessarily at the at the at the shop, but at a hub on the West coast and East coast that can do some sort of quality control check afterwards and whatever that thing would be that, okay, we're making these widgets. We can make X amount of parts for the bike with this machine. Might as well just do it here. We don't have to keep stock of anything. We don't have to keep, we have to warehouse anything. All we need to have is boxes to ship them in. Right and labels to print, and that would be that's a, that's an interesting thing. Yeah, I never really thought of it like it that. Be, it could be a game changer for sure. for not just the motorcycle industry, but manufacturing in general. Yeah, so no doubt. You're right. It'll be it'll be interesting. It'll be to like see. these warehouses filled with these things. Really, the way it'll be an Amazon warehouse because Amazon will buy this up immediately. Um, that you go to, and there'll probably be a section for X amount of big things, a section for this size of thing, a section for centered metal, section for plastic, whatever the thing is. And you go and you roll out your plans to them, say, I need X amount by this many when, when you can do it. Or end user might be able to just go stick a USB into a machine and have something printed off at this manufacturer's farm, whatever that is, right? Oh, dude, we we need to start a business. <laughs> we'll talk after the show. I've been percolating <laughs> on this. This is I don't know if we ever talked about it on the podcast, Quentin, but one of the very first stories I did on Asphalt and Rubber was called Tradition is Not a Business Model. And it was part of this idea. It was talking about a a business plan that I had worked on in business school and then kind of applying some of the takeaways from that to what was happening in the motorcycle industry as electrics are coming on board. And then I went around and talked to Michael Sizz and Craig Bramshire and, and the guys at zero and the guys at mission and, and kind of like wrapped it all together. But one of the ideas was kind of centered around this, this concept and we'll, we'll talk offline. Right. There's, there's some interesting stuff here. Good times. Uh, it's definitely a concept that's been on my mind for like the better part of a decade and to see kind of BMW sussing this out, in, in this sort of way. And they also, I should say that I didn't actually do a story on it, but they've, they also showed a carbon fiber swing arm, which was for the G13R and they won a design award for it. G13R. This is their budget single cylinder, 300 CC oh, okay. yeah, yeah. street Sorry. bike. I forgot. But it was very interesting that they picked that bike to make a carbon version of its swing arm. And one of the things that they were showing or illustrating with this example was how complex of a shape they could make with their system but also how cheap the system was to make such a complex shape. Hmm. And I think they picked the G13R for a very specific reason because here's this budget motorcycle that's you know $5,000 and you know it's not crazy to think that in the future it can be made entirely out of carbon fiber and still hit that that price yeah, point. Sure. Those days aren't that far away. Um, so there's some interesting things brewing and mostly because of the automotive Sure. sector, but it's going to trickle into the motorcycle segments as well, which is very, very, very interesting to me. 
So maybe it'll help keep the industry from collapsing on itself. <laughs> no. Yes and no. Yes and no. Because it, it it does fundamentally change the business operation enough where I think you can start running a leaner operation. Yeah. And for a couple brands, that makes a ton of sense. And I think for a couple other brands, like they're just never going to get it. The problem is that I see those days 10 years out, maybe more. I don't know for some brands if they have 10 years left in them. I think I think we're going to go through a real calling of the herd over the next few years. I think we're going to see a couple of manufacturers go away. We're already seeing a couple media publications go away. We're already seeing some kind of consolidation in the space. There's there's some stuff going on and I think I think the companies that are able to adapt not only on the product side and understanding what consumers want but also take advantage of the new manufacturing technology that's coming out and and set up their business to take advantage of it because it's not just oh yeah now we can 3d print things so we can get rid of our assembly line no you're gonna have to start rethinking your dealer model you're gonna start thinking how you store and deliver parts and your your it infrastructure and all stuff like this is a huge paradigm shift to to throw a, a business you know buzzword out there that's going to have to occur and people are going to either going to get it or they're not and some people are going to make the investment and some people aren't and it's going to be like the day the dinosaurs saw the asteroid coming some are going to survive and some aren't most of them won't well we just call them birds now yeah so it'll be interesting 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 days um I think I only have one more topic with you and then we should wrap it up. Okay. But this is kind of an interesting one. All right. Because it's it's actually probably two topics. Did you see that Ford patented yeah. a motorcycle, like Batmobile thing? Bat sure, cycle. with the motorcycle. And, <clears throat> uh, when I saw that, somebody uh, within the Alta posted that like a while ago. And I, the first thing I thought of was a cartoon that I knew when I was a kid called Mask. So I went and found the... Uh, trailer or the you know the intro to this cartoon called Mask because there were all a bunch of vehicles in this again it was like an 80s cartoon that would transform from one thing to another this is in the Transformers era but this was very specific that whoever it would be would put on the mask and then go do the fancy thing and it would be maybe a truck that turned into a plane or a boat that turned into a motorcycle or something like that and some of them had capabilities of you know having a uh, a, a, a thing within a thing like this. And so this is where, when I saw the picture of like, here's a Ford car and there's a motorcycle in the front of it. So what is, what is the term they use for it? Like the last, the last mile, the last mile of transportation. So you get your car to wherever, but you really don't want to have to deal with the parking problem at that, uh, at the place. Or so you then, even can't, like you look at places like London and Paris, Paris these yeah. congestion zones where you have to pay like $20 if you want to come downtown with a car. Or whatever that price is. I don't actually know what the pricing is. But I know it's it's a tax and it's a whole thing and some things aren't even allowed in there. So the bend for of, this, I think, is going to be this e-bike and car. Not necessarily a motorcycle and car. A motorcycle and car makes sense. But I do that with a freaking moto toad off the back of my van. Or in my van. Shoot, everybody, anybody that has a van <laughs> or, or a truck has been doing this in a obviously simplified way. But if you this, the way this looked almost like you'd have the propellant for the car would be the motorcycle engine and then you would but you'd get out of the cage part and get onto the propellant part i don't i don't really know that would be the question is in what way is this supposed to be happening i yeah i honestly looked at it and i was just like this is never 
never coming to market. This is the most crazy pie in the sky. Like, like someone had a bad day and just was drunk and either that like, or somebody's ah. like, you got to make a patent or you're fired. Right. Exactly. Like, ah, uh, it's Friday. Uh, I dare you to do this patent. <laughs> you know, I don't know what that is. Cause it's just like, I'm like, no, there's just, that's just never going to happen. But it's interesting when you tie that into the fact that Ford just announced that they're oh, yeah. getting rid of their car business, basically. They're only going to have the Mustang, obviously. And then they're going to have like a weird version of like the Ford Focus that's electric that's the, not even out yet. The Fiesta, but it's going to be a bigger one. Yeah. Yeah. So is this like really interesting to just kind of see like this? And trucks. The, well, yeah. They're, well, gonna the have thing. they're banking the on the trucks and SUVs, which are sort of like the only vehicles that they're making money on, basically. Yeah. Um, but it was really interesting. Like there's a whole thing we could say about Ford giving up on its car business and how that is kind of analogous to some stuff that's going on in the motorcycle industry. But when you couple it together with this kind of last mile motorcycle in a car theory, it's just very, very interesting times. And I think it just comes back to the reason I bring it up is because I think it comes back to this whole idea that the way we transport ourselves is completely up for grabs this concept of transportation, this concept of this last mile, the autonomous vehicles, e-bikes, something between an e-bike and a motorcycle, a motorcycle inside of a car, we're not even going to have cars. It's totally up for grabs. And that's the most exciting thing out of all this. And it comes back to this idea of like the brands that can capitalize on that fact. Yeah. Those are the ones that are going to succeed in the decades to come. And the ones that don't, well, it's that asteroid and the dinosaurs thing again. Hmm. Well, as long as there's still kickstands, I'm good. That's the thing, though, Quinn. No. Everything's up for grabs. It's not even kickstands anymore. Oh, no. It could be, it could be something else. I don't, we don't even know. We don't even know. It could, it could be handlebar stands. <laughs> you know, just completely go the other way with it. What if the entire bike is a giant kickstand? Well, which is what, when we saw the videos of that electric Honda that just sits there and kind of does the thing. That's the thing. Doesn't need a kickstand. Doesn't need a kickstand. It's, it's just going to gyro it just sits itself. there the whole time. <laughs> That's the future. The future is kickstandless. <laughs> I don't well, know if you're ready for, for it. For as long as we can, kickstands up. All right. Good talk. See you out there. Later. Take a little kitty break. Get it. Get it, Coda. Get it, yeah. Get it. Get the house. Oh, yeah. Just interrupt Coda, the podcast. For, from, a, from a podcast just, standpoint. Just get in there. The cat is on top of this uh, cardboard house. Yeah. It's Coda um, house. That's what? That's the Coda house. It's the Coda house. And she's getting she's it. She's going as, at a, it. as it was. She's, she's getting the top of it. She's going hard in the paint. And she is. She's like, she's like, I'm not going to stop anytime soon. I'm just going to keep doing this. I'm sorry. Were you guys recording a podcast? Because I'm making some podcast over uh, here. Podcasting. <laughs> Look at this. I don't think she's ever. No, she's going. This is like this almost is, a minute straight. Yeah. Can, can we get audio on this?